Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. I totally convinced myself to do something I knew I shouldn't have. This is a universal thing for all of us in this room, is that we're all tempted to get satisfaction from the wrong source. We're all tempted to get satisfaction from the wrong source. Now, when I say satisfaction, I use a relationship as an example because I think most of us can relate to that example. But when I say satisfaction, I just don't mean physical attraction. I just don't mean physical stuff. I mean way more than that. Because how many of you know that there's satisfaction can look like many different things? It could look like meaning. It could look like significance. It could look like character. It could look like identity. We could find our significance and our satisfaction in so many different things. But the temptation is to find it in the wrong source. And that could be in external things. That can be in internal things. And the hard part is sometimes these sources, they even look good on the outside. And they're not, by itself, they're not bad things. But when we make it the main source of our lives, that's when things get kind of messy. And so and one of the ways that we know that a particular area of our life is flowing from the wrong source is that one or two things happen. One is that we convince ourselves that it's right, but because we're not willing to give it up, we keep going back, we keep going back, we keep going back, and we're still not satisfied. We may be full for that moment, but give it a week, give it a season, I'm still empty inside. Sometimes, on the flip side, we actually walk away from that thing, but we just change it for something else. So either way, we're getting our satisfaction from the wrong source, and what we're really doing is that we're not really chasing satisfaction, we're chasing fullness. We're trying to crave that appetite inside of us. Now, here's, here's the good news, okay, is that behind every bad decision that we've all made has been a uh, right desire. Behind every bad decision has been a true, legitimate desire. For those of us, man, who just, I just can't get away from that person. I can't get away from that party scene. It's just like, oh, I can't get away. And so on the, out, on the outward, the thing that you're trying to change is, I just need different friends. Or I just need different this. I need to do different than this. But really, that desire in you is from God that says, man, I need community. I need to be loved. I need to be accepted. And so behind every bad decision, there's been a true, legit desire for love, for significance, and for security. And really, the Apostle Paul really puts this in, in, in clear terms in Colossians 1.16, where he says that, that we are made by God and we're made for God. Now, re really take that into your heart. We're made by him, we're for him. That on the outset, we're made by him, that he created the heavens and the earth, he's created everything that we see and that we will see, even ourselves, but we're not just made by him, we're made for him. That those desires inside of you, they're not accidental. Those desires for you to find fulfillment and joy and peace and being content. Those aren't just your makeup or just your personality. Those are God desires that he's put inside of you. And that should just make us jump out of our seats because that means two things. One is that God is responsible for, for fulfilling those desires in you. If he's put those desires in you, it, he's not only responsible to fill those desires, but he's more than capable. He's so capable, and it's his responsibility that if he's put this 
um, gap in your heart for love, for significance, and for joy, he's responsible, he's capable, and if you let him, he's going to fill that spot. I love um, what C.S. Lewis said. This is a pretty infamous quote, but it really drives it home for me, and I think it will for you. Steph, go ahead and put that quote up there. Oh, I was looking over there. My bad, guys. I'm like, Steph, come on, come on. It's like, it's really Pastor Chris. If I find myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. We can look at our desires. We can even look at our appetites, even if it's for the wrong thing. How many of you know if you've been eating at McDonald's your whole life and someone gives you a steak, you're probably not going to like it for the first time? Ah, this is kind of too good. I'm going to go back to McDonald's, you know. It's cheaper there anyways. Fat, you know, fast and just get me out of there. But what C.S. Lewis is saying, which really what the scriptures reaffirm, is that the desires inside of you point back to something greater than yourself and greater than this world can offer. Here's kind of the tension, though, for those of us who um, are, are uh, in the process of knowing the Lord and for those who have known the Lord for a while. It's that for a lot of us, when we think of Jesus, we don't always think of satisfaction or joy. If I were to say, hey, how many times have you read your Bible this week? Oh, not sure. How many times did you pray longer than this amount of time? Uh, you know, it's really busy time at work. And, but if I were to ask more of an abstract kind of hard question, hey, how's your joy level this week? I mean... I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I did this this week, and I did this this week, and I did this. No, 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 yeah, yeah, I, I get that. That's cool. Read your Bible for an hour, read your Bible none. How is your joy level in Jesus right now? I don't know. I think a lot of times, myself included, when we think of Jesus, we don't know, necessarily think of satisfaction. We usually think of standards. How well am I following this out? How well am I doing this area? And instead of it becoming about coming closer to a person, we're really trying to perform for a standard. And so asking those deeper questions really gets down to the heart of the issue. And who is glad in here that God cares about our behavior, but he cares that much more about our hearts? That he knows that if he can get to your heart, that if you let go of what you're hanging on to, he can do the rest. Behavior is easy for the Lord to figure out. But it's really the heart that God wants to get a hold of. So for those of us who don't know the Lord that well and just beginning this journey, man, you're so welcome here. And I'm praying that as we go dive in this word, Jesus is going to show you that he can be more satisfying than you could ever even realize. And for those who've been walking with the Lord, but man, I get this in my head. I know the scriptures. I know that, you know, that, that uh, in Psalm 34, taste and see the Lord is good. I want that to become a reality in my life. So we're going to dive in because Jesus has an answer to this question. So we're going to be in John chapter 6. We're going to be in um, verse 26. And let me give you some context. The day before, I mean, no big deal. 5,000 people came to Jesus and he fed them all. With a couple loaves of bread, <laughs> a couple things of fish. It was a miracle. And so, like any um, good person that, you know, knows how to think well, man, if someone could feed 5,000 people, 
I want to follow that person. I want to know where the next meal is going to be, all right? Lauren's making fun of me, and she has good reason to. My birthday was a couple weeks ago, and this is, this is embarrassing to admit, but I'm going to admit it anyways, okay, is that, man, I'm subscribed to, like, email-wise to a lot of, like, food companies and, like, donuts and coffees because you never know what deal you might miss. <laughs> Psychologists call this FOMO, <laughs> fear of missing out. So I have FOMO when it comes to food, okay? And so I'm freaking out a week before my birthday. Oh, you get a free Jamba Juice. You get a free donut from Krispy Kreme. I'm like, Lord, I'm stressing out. How am I supposed to go to all these places in one day? And then thank God that she didn't have to respond to me. I came to my senses like, I don't. I can just choose one thing and be content in Jesus. Okay, awesome. And so I get the struggle with the crowds because Jesus fed them, and now they're looking for him again. So, again, this is Jesus going straight to the point, which I love about our Lord. So what he says in verse 26, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me not because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the power of the miraculous of what I did the day before. So here's what's happening. Jesus did this miracle. He uh, fed 5,000 people, and the people are right there. Hey, we're here, Jesus. Teach me, lead me, feed me. Let's do it again tomorrow. You know, this sounds like a great plan. But Jesus is going right to the heart right now. Hey, you're only here because you want me to feed you. But, but, but don't hear in such a way where it's coming off as corrective as in like, man, just get out of here. Because he didn't reject them, but he's doing something that only Jesus can do is redirect their hearts to the right things. So God cares about us so much that he's willing to say the hard things in love so that we can know how good his love really is. And so he says to them, you're only here because I fed you, but you don't understand what happened. And when you look at all the Gospels, when Jesus did a miraculous thing, the miracle of the power being displayed wasn't the end goal. The miracle was just to show how powerful God is, but also to reveal who he is. So what he was saying to the disciples and and to the whole crowd is, you understand the power of the miracle, but what you're misunderstanding is the person behind the miracle. There's something in that miracle that I did that I want you to know about myself. And what they were struggling with is a lot what we still struggle with as well. And this isn't like um, in the Bible, but this is kind of how I've coined it, is that when they saw Jesus, they they saw him as a fix-it God. A fix-it God. What's a fix-it God? A fix-it God is he is the current solution to my current needs right now. And so if I need more money for this, Jesus, hook it up. (laughs) I need that house. I need this thing, right? Jesus, I'm just like, my marriage is struggling. And gosh, I mean, I know I'm at fault sometimes, but can you work on her? Can you work on him? Man, she's a big need right now, okay? And so there's many problems with that, which are obvious. But one of the biggest ones is that, man, if life is going really, really well, there's no dependence on Jesus. I got this. You know, I got this. Everything's on me. Let me do this. But when things aren't going so well, fix it, fix it, fix it. And here's the thing, guys, and here's the cool part about Jesus. He's not saying, get out of here. You don't have the right heart. 
I'm saying is I want you to look at the motives, because that's important to me, and I want to change that. Because if you keep coming to me as a fix-it God, you're going to limit what I can do in your life. You're going to limit how you see me. You're going to limit what I can do in your life. And I'm too big, I'm too great for you to see me as a fix-it God. I'm way better than that. And so fix-it God is all about circumstances. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to fix your fix-it God mentality. There's something way greater, way better than that. So he, he continues, and this is where he really drives it in, the heart. Don't be so concerned about perish, perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. This goes, this goes back to one of my uh, weird tendencies. But um, I'm really uh, funny about picking bread when I go to the grocery store. And uh, one of the reasons is because I, my first job was at a grocery store, Knob Hill in San Ramon, and um, people would forget all the time to check the expiration label on their milk, on their bread, and, some, and I'd be that really annoying 15-year-old where, you know, the bread would go through the line, I'm looking at it, I'm like, sir, do you know that this expires tomorrow? I mean, no, but it's Okay. Yeah, but there's other bread back there. You're going to willfully eat this bread and know it's only going to, I mean, are you going to a party? Are you going to eat this whole thing today? He's looking like, why is he asking me these questions, right? <laughs> and so for me, I had this early knowledge that expiration means something. And here's the thing which is the saying, that if we really take in the words of what he's trying to communicate, it's going to radically change how we see him. Don't be concerned with perishable food. What he's saying is that everything has an expiration in life. Everything. Even the good things in life. That if you're, and when he says the word food, he's not just talking about food. He's, it's a metaphor for the nourishment that we use for our souls and for our bodies, for our lives. Basically, the source of our nourishment. And so if you're seeking and consuming things from the wrong source, you're always going to come up short. You're always going to come up short. But if you look at the source, then that's when we can change the satisfaction. And so when we, man, and, it, and for us, it can even be the good things in life. Where it's like, man, if I make my family the main source of my satisfaction, that everything's on the line when it doesn't have to be. That if my kids don't act a certain way, if my wife doesn't treat me a certain way, if that's the source of my satisfaction, I'm, I'm dumped. I'm doomed in that area. So it could even be the good things in life where, man, God wants us to honor, to, like, put our best in, but it's even the good things that can crush us. I'll give you an example for me. Um, I have a, a whole lot better of a relationship with ministry and, and, how I, and how I view that. But, man, years and years ago when I first started off, honestly, ministry, as good as it was for me, and I loved doing it, it became a wrong source for me is that I got so much satisfaction from that. I'll, I'll give you an example. I started serving and preaching when I was 18 years old, and so when you're um, that age and like, you're really putting your best foot forward, right? people are affirming you, you're awesome, you're amazing, right? I can't believe you're serving in such a way, right? And so, man, when I would preach a message and I felt like I, I nailed it, man, I was elated for like a month. 
Like, I was like, man, I am awesome. I'm ama- God's amazing, but I'm pretty amazing too, you know? Like, I'm a really good communicator. And that old guy on stage, like that, the senior pastor, I could probably do it a little bit better than him, you know? I mean, those are the things I'm thinking. I mean, I never said that, <laughs> but I thought it, and I felt it, and I really believed it. But here's the other part, is that when I didn't do so well, when I felt like, you know, I kind of stuttered a lot in that message, or people were looking at me like, is he almost over? I mean, like, when's lunchtime, you know? Like, which is really possible when you're teaching the high school students, you know? Uh, it can be a little bit tougher than teaching adults. Man, it would crush me. I would go home, and I would just be like, what is wrong with me? Why has God, God called me to preach? You know, I feel so horrible about myself. And there's one thing about trying to get better at something, but it's another thing when you have that as your source, and it shouldn't be your source at all. And it was really cool because, uh, you know, Laura and I did, we did youth ministry for six years prior to us coming to Fountain. We were the youth pastors. And I remember uh, like three years ago, um, you know, we were having like, this big outreach event. And honestly, we weren't, we, we weren't even marketing it that well. We weren't even like, we kind of just, it was on the fly. And we probably had three times the amount of students that we ever had before. And I'm looking around, I'm like, dang, this is crazy. People are getting saved. I preached really good that night, you know. I mean, I felt good, right? And the craziest thing happened is that the next morning I woke up, and I just thought to myself, I feel the exact same that I did yesterday. I'm not better of a Christian. I'm not less of a Christian. And I remember the Lord just spoke so delicately in my heart. He said, Chris, I want you to remember this event, is that you can't put your identity in your failures because if you put your identity in your failures, then you have to put your identity in your successes as well. And so even when you do bad, even when you do good, I'm your source for your whole life. That I'm not going to love you anymore. I'm not going to love you any less. And man, I'm not saying that I don't have to like, still trust in God in that way. But that was a pivotal shift in my heart. Where even the good things can become the wrong source if it's not Christ. Here's a question for us to kind of understand if our source is coming from the wrong place. If it's, whatever it is, if it's removed, will you still remain with Jesus? If it's removed, will you still remain with Jesus? And I don't just mean if I were to leave my faith together. Because there was times where I, my source was approval, my source was performance. And so when I felt like I wasn't performing well, the love of God seemed so abstract so far, I remain in my faith as a Christian, but the nearness of God, I just was like, God, where are you? What am I doing right now? So if it's removed, will you still remain with Jesus? It's a really good way to kind of just test our hearts. Lord, where is the source coming from? Thankfully, Jesus doesn't uh, leave him hanging. Don't consume Don't go out, don't spend your life consuming perishable things, but spend your life seeking the eternal life that God can give you. This is another message, but man, the the word give, notice that, man, it's not about what you can do for yourself, but it's all about what Jesus can do for you. This eternal life, see, Jesus said that everything has an expiration except eternal life. Everything in this world has an expiration date, but when it comes to eternal life in me, there's no expiration. You can never get to the bottom of it. You can never run out. There is an endless source of joy, satisfaction that you can't 
run out of. But he goes deeper into it because they're thinking like, okay, well, man, we want to do the word. We want to do the works of God right now. I'm going to kind of peruse the story because I want to get to this one point. Is that they're like, okay, so if 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 we should spend our time seeking eternal life, how do we do that, right? What is that? And Jesus makes it crystal clear now what he's trying to say. Is that what's eternal life? To believe in the one that God has sent. Believe in the one that God has sent. That this miracle that I did with the 5,000, it has nothing to do with just power as in this abstract like thing in the world, in the universe, but it all points to me as a person. I am the one sent by the Father for you to trust in for your life. And they're pushing back still. They're pushing back because they're going back to their Jewish history. And they're saying, Jesus, our forefathers, they had Moses. They had Moses. And check this out, Jesus. When they walked the desert for 40 years, we're not going to acknowledge that they were in the desert for 40 years because they didn't trust God. But they were in there for 40 years, and Moses rained down manna, bread from heaven. Jesus, what can you do? What can you do for us? Again, fix it, God, still. Fix this problem. Fix my perspective. Show me your power. Basically, show me the best deal. Moses gave me bread, but what are you going to do? And Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't get it, guys. You don't get it. Moses didn't give you that bread. My father did. My father gave that bread to Moses, and now I want to give you the true bread. That word truth in uh, the Greek, it's the word um, aletheia, and it means reality. I want to give you the real stuff. I'm going to give you the stuff where you're going to be satisfied. And then they're like, okay, I want, I want the real stuff, right? Give me that good stuff. And they said, sir, tell us how we can have that every single day. And in the most inspiring, stunning, compelling way possible, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life, that I am the only unique person, fully God, fully human, that I don't just give you the bread, I am the bread. I am the satisfaction. Basically what he's saying is, is that, guys, I am more than a solution to a need. I'm the source of all life. I'm the source of all things that are good. And that that desire in you for more, for better finances, for a better marriage, for a better life, it all points back to me. Everything points back to me. And I mean, just fill the scene right now where you've got like the pagan people who aren't worshipers. They're not God-fearers. They're stuck in their pagan ways. And they're like, wow. These things that I've been entangled in, that you're not just saying for me to remove this, but you're going to replace it now? That's stunning. And then you have the religious people where they're banking on their performance. Oh, yeah, I don't do this on the weekends. I don't do this. I don't do that. But they're striving at a performance. And they're like, listen, whether it's in the pagan area, whether it's in the performance area, it's not going to satisfy. And so what he's saying is, it's, it's as much as, it, as it's an invitation, it's also a challenge. Are you going to let go and let me be the bread of life? Because where he says that whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You want to experience the bread of life? You've got to come to him hungry. 
And you've got to be trusting him, believing for him to fulfill that thirst in your life. He is the source of all things. And that if you trust in him, he wants to fill you in that way. So as we come to more of the close, what does this look like, right? That's what we say a lot here. What does this look like on Monday? Okay, Lord, if you are the bread of life, what does that look like for that to be released in my life? I want us to go to Psalm 63. We're not going to dive in on the whole thing, but I think it's going to be a really good next step for us. And this is talking about King David. He's running away from um, another king that is chasing him. And he's in the desert. He's in a horrible, just, just bad circumstance. He's hiding away. And listen to David's heart in his time of need. It's incredible. Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh, God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My body thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary, and I've gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. Oh, how I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. Check this out, verse 5. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. Think about your time of need, when you need God to fix something, to fix something, to fix something. And it's legit things. What I'm not saying is that God is invalidating how you feel or your need, because we have so many needs in here right now. But David was more aware, not of a circumstantial need, but of a spiritual need. He said, oh God, you are my God. In a parched and uh, wasted land right now, I need water from you. I need you to fill me. I need you to do something in my life that I can't do for myself. Essentially what David was saying is, I don't want you to fix my problem. I want you to fill me with your presence. I want you to fill me with your presence. And that's why it says, I've been in the sanctuary, Lord. I've gazed upon your beauty. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. Wow. What if we were in the direction and the place where when we're at a time of need, our first thought was, Lord, fix that problem. But we, we direct ourselves, God, fill me with your presence. Fill me with your presence. Because, God, when you fill me with your presence, I can see clearer. I can make better decisions. I'm not going to be in a rush. That I'm going to move by faith and not by just rushing things. Really, Lord, I need you to fill me more than I need you to fix a problem. Because, really, that's the ultimate problem. That if I am dependent on you, then you're going to take care of the rest. So the tension is, though, okay, but what does that look like? (laughs) Like, what do I do, right? If I want to declare my spiritual need is greater than anything else, what do I do? Verse 6, I lie awake thinking about you, meditating on you through the night. Because you're my helper, I sing for joy for the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. David was fully dependent on God's presence in his word. Fully dependent. He made time. He opened up his heart. Where there was a gap in his life of need, he filled that gap with God's presence. And so when we live in that place of dependence on God, he fills us. 
in that place. And practically, that means, Lord, you are my source every single day. I'm not going to go a day without you filling me up with your presence. You know, you look at um, Deuteronomy chapter 8, when God is recapping the 40 years of the, uh, of the Israelites um, in the desert, of the manna. And what he said to him was, is that, you know, I tested you by letting you go in the desert because I didn't want you to think that your life was dependent on manna, but on every word that comes from my mouth. That if you consume, if you meditate on my word, life's going to happen. Life is going to happen inside of you. Man, I am a, we've been so grateful for uh, just your support in our lives, uh, just what's happening in our family. And if you don't already know, uh, some of you guys might be new, but in September, late uh, September, uh, late January, um, we got news uh, of our baby, uh, Ezra, that um, Ezra wasn't going to live outside of the womb because of Potter's uh, syndrome. So basically what that means is that our baby doesn't have any fluid around um, inside, and so the, everything can't develop the way that it needs to. And so you could imagine it's just been a trying times. It's been glorious. There's been grieving, right? It's like we're, we're, we're praying for a miracle, but we also have to plan for the other side of it as well. So these things that we have to balance out. And I'm not saying this because it fits really well with the message. I'm, I'm speaking with integrity right now. The things that has been keeping us forward since day one of us hearing this news is God being our source. That those, those moments where it's like, God, why? I don't get it. It hurts so much inside. I don't, I don't turn it and I, I, I recluse back. I jump into God's presence. And I haven't been perfect in it. I've had to repent at times to Lauren. Like, Lauren, ah, like, I feel like, gosh, like, I, I just want to crawl back, but, I, but I'm not going to. I'm going to keep engaging. I'm going to keep praying. So I haven't been perfect in that area. But I know it's like when I feel myself going back, I'm like, no, Lord, I'm going to let you fill me with your presence right now. We've been getting so many words from other people. God's given us words, and we're just praying into them. So we can just say, man, it's outside of everything that happens we're believing for a miracle. Whether it's the way that we want to see it or whether it's the way that God wants to do it, we're going to trust him anyways because his character is never in question. His character is never in question. I'm going to bank on him forever in that way. So what does that look like for us? It looks like, man, we need to fill up and we need to focus on what God's saying. That's the next step. If you want to jot that down for your notes, you need to get filled up need to focus on. And this is a really practical thing that I do. And, my, and again, this isn't um, the way to do it, but just a way that, uh, you know, maybe it, it could help you as well, is that when I'm in my Bible, I'm worshiping, I'm praying, I'm writing down what God's saying to me, and then I focus on one specific thing the Lord has either said to me in that passage or that particular passage itself. So that whole day, I'm just, I'm just thinking about it. And so if, if I'm going to the store, you know, and I, I'm trying to check out which line is like, you know, the, the smallest line, right? I, I, I do those things. Oh, you know, God's presence, right, you know? And so I'm constantly having it as mine. And honestly, guys, most of the time, I'm not feeling anything. There isn't this crazy experience, but I'm letting the source of all life fill me up. So in those times of need, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm not deficient in that area because I've been allowing God to fill me up. Will you allow God to be the bread to your life? 
where you allow him to be the source of all things, it's not going to happen overnight. We're going to be in process. Our whole lives, we're going to be moving closer to God and closer to others. But how about this? As you fill up and as you focus on What's that particular area that, man, you really need to be dependent on? Where it's like, you know, I'm going to have that daily time with God, but those triggers and, and, and this part of my life, come prepared with that scripture. Because that's really where the power comes from. It's not, the power doesn't come from how disciplined you are, even though discipline is really important, but it's all about how dependent you are. So it's not like, oh, how disciplined am I? Man, if you're dependent, discipline's going to follow. You're not going to have to worry about that.